0: Thank you, Amanda. Good morning. You can take your Bibles and uh just so you'll be ready for in a few minutes, turn to first Thessalonians <clears throat> New Testament Book of First Thessalonians Faith, love hope that's our theme during the month of January as we begin our new year. We're looking at these three things that are true of a healthy church. That's the direction we're going with these three truths. A healthy church is known for its faith. A healthy church is known for its love. And a healthy church is known for its hope. And each week, we are looking at one of those. Uh, Last week, we looked at the first one, the idea of faith, and specifically the idea that a healthy church is known for its faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and what that produces as the people of that church go and live out that faith. And the works that are produced by a faith in Jesus Christ have a way of going full circle and pointing back to Jesus. Faith in Him produces those works in that way of life, and then those works and way of life point back to Jesus. The one the people of that church have faith in. And that's a sign of health in a church faith today we're going to look at love and we talk so much about love and we've been singing about love today and that was a powerful uh, song about love that was just sung for us and we're going to talk more about that and through this series of course we're asking the question and we'll ask it again at the end of today's message are we a healthy church Are we a church that is known for faith in Jesus Christ and the works and the way of living that that faith produces? Are we a church that is known for love? And we'll talk about what that looks like in a little while. And are we a church that is known for hope? And that will be next week. And these three messages will help us evaluate and come to an answer to that question. Are we a healthy church? Let's pray first. Our Father, we uh, thank you. The message of that song is still on my mind, Father, evaluating how I'm doing in following your word and your teaching on love, Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts and our minds today as we think about this idea of being a church that's known for love. God, I pray that even before we apply that to our church, you would help us apply it individually or we people. Of love. Lord, please uh, speak to us today. Remind us in a fresh way of of this truth that we're so familiar with to love. In Jesus' name, amen. A few weeks ago, uh, I was talking to somebody after a service, and this person is not here today. Um, But the person made an interesting statement to me. They said, I always feel so loved when I'm here. And when I heard that statement, of course, inside of me there was this thank you God thing going on. But I'm also realistic enough to know that Not everyone may feel that way. I'm sure there are others who feel that way and agree with that person, but I am also sure there are people who wouldn't agree with that person. And for some reason, that is not how they feel. And so I want us to talk about that. The idea that a mark of a healthy church is that that church is known for love. And that's where 1 Thessalonians comes in. We've been finding ourselves at least starting there each week because the Thessalonian church becomes an example for us of some of these things we're talking about. So in 1 Thessalonians... Take a look with me at chapter 3, some statements made about this church in the city of Thessalonica. First Thessalonians 3, verse 6, Paul says, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. Paul had sent Timothy to Thessalonica to see how the church was doing, and he comes back and he has this good report. And it's a report about their faith, but it's also a report about their love. He wants to tell Paul about that. Verse 12, Paul says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. So Paul had heard good news about the love in that church. But he also is real realistic enough to say, may that love you have for each other and everyone beyond your church increase. There's always room for increase. Chapter 4, verse 9. He says, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. So it wasn't just their love for each other in that church. Well, Paul says you love uh, believers all over Macedonia, the region in which you live. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Keep loving. If you go to the second letter to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 3, he said, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. So clearly, when Paul writes to that church, He knows about their love in order to comment about it. So the question is, how did he know about their love? That they were a church that loved each other, but also loved others outside the church. How did he know that to be able to say these things? Well, first of all, he heard it from Timothy. Timothy had gone there and reported back about the love of these people. In that church. But I would guess, based on chapter one, when he starts the first letter, that also he was hearing this from other people. Because he said, It's reported to me that these things are true of you. People are talking about you as a church. And when people talked about the Thessalonian church, they talked about faith. But they also talked about the love that this church had which tells me that the Thessalonian church was known for love. They were known for their faith in Jesus and the works and the way of life that that was producing. They were also known by many for their love. Love for each other within the church, but also love for people throughout Macedonia. How did people know that? Well, obviously, they had heard about it, observed it, experienced it. But somehow people knew that this was true of the church in Thessalonica. And it makes sense. It makes sense that love would be one mark of a healthy church. Why? Why does it make sense? Well, let me tell you. Remember the second greatest command? Remember when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command? And he gave two answers for one. He said, the greatest is to love God. But the second greatest command, he said, is to love your neighbor. Now, if loving your neighbor... It's the second greatest command, according to Jesus. Doesn't it make sense that that should be something that is true of his church? That a church would be known as a group of people who loves their neighbors. It would just make sense that that would be a mark of a healthy church. In Ephesians chapter 5... The Apostle Paul comes up with this phrase, the way of love. The way of love. And in the first two verses of Ephesians 5, he says that the Ephesians should follow God's example and walk in the way of love. Not walk in the way of bitterness, not walk in the way of strife, not walk in the way of judgment. Not walk in the way of ostracizing people, but he says, you should follow the example of God and walk in the way of love. So, if that's the teaching, wouldn't it make sense then that God would want his churches to walk in the way of love? In John chapter 13, we have a record of the upper room. That time when Jesus ate the Passover with his disciples, it was the night that he would be betrayed and tried, and it would lead to his death. And John, in in the 13th chapter of his gospel, talks about one thing that Jesus told his disciples that night. He said, a new commandment I give you. And the new commandment was, that you love one another. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. That's not a new commandment. It's old. We've been taught for a long time to love our neighbor. But you see, the new thing about this commandment was the standard. The love your neighbor command, the standard was love your neighbor as you love yourself. It is so natural to love yourself, at least love your neighbor that way. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment because I'm changing the standard. Love your neighbor as I love you. The standard in this new commandment for love is to love like Jesus loves. Well, then doesn't it make sense that a mark of a healthy church would be That the people there love each other in a Christ-like way? That would make sense. He goes on there in that text. And he says, love one another as I have loved you. And by this, your love for each other. All people will know that you're my disciples. They will connect you with me, Jesus said if you love each other this way. It's like Jesus was saying, your love for each other, your, your love for each other that is like my love for you, is going to be a bridge to the world. It's going to be a bridge that's going to allow you to be heard by the world. Because when you love each other the way I love you, it will draw their attention to me. They will know you're my disciples. So, based on that new command, it makes sense to me that God would want his church to be a church that loves like he loves because it, it's a bridge to the world. Uh, Francis Schaefer put it this way. It's the final apologetic. That love is part of our witness, of our testimony, of our evangelism. It's that bridge to the world. It draws their attention to Jesus. And then, of course, you have the one another's, don't you? The one another's that we are very familiar with, in fact, if you got your new directory for this year, they're on the back of it. We don't want you to lose sight of the one another's. And what are they? They are ways to love each other. Different practical ways to love each other as Christ loves the one another's. And if we are to love each other this way, then it makes sense that this would be a mark of a healthy church. If that church, if the people in that church were loving each other and others in this way, it makes sense to be a mark of a healthy church. Turn with me to 2 Timothy, and I want to talk about terrible times for a few minutes. Second Timothy. Chapter three. Second Timothy, chapter three. Starting in verse one. Paul says, "But mark this: There will be terrible times in the last days." Then he describes these terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. Not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Paul's description of terrible times in the last days. Does it sound like he's describing today? But notice In that description of terrible times in the last days, love is mentioned a lot. You have people being lovers of themselves, lovers of self, lovers of money, and later lovers of pleasure. That will mark terrible times in the last days. Lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. Good description of today, isn't it? But also, he talks about three other loves. Because he says, they will be without love, unloving. And he goes on and talks about being unforgiving and uh, slanderous. And he, he's describing things in relationships with people. And he says uh, they will be unloving. The idea being there should be love for people. But in terrible times, it's the other way around. They're unloving toward each other. Then he goes on to talk about how they are not lovers of the good implying they should be lovers of the good, but in terrible times they're not going to be. And then at the end he says they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They choose their pleasure over God. They love the pleasure more than God. And so what you have in this passage is you have lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure versus lovers of God. Lovers of the good and lovers of people. Now, which of those lists of three loves would be a mark of a healthy church? Unfortunately, there are churches that you could describe as having a love for themselves, a love for money, and a love for pleasure. That's not a healthy church. A healthy church would be one that has a love for God, a love for the good, and a love for people. And it makes sense in our world that there is a need for healthy churches that are practicing a love for God, a love for the good, and a love for people. We don't need churches that love themselves, love pleasure, and love money. This world needs healthy churches that love God, love the good, and love people. That just makes sense that that would be a mark of a healthy church. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 13, and when when I say that, for some of you right away, what comes to your mind? Love chapter, right? 1 Corinthians 13. The context is, many of you know of this chapter is that it's right in the middle of two chapters that talk about ministry in the church, about using gifts that God has given us to minister and to serve. And they're apparently are some problems in that area in the Corinthian church that Paul has to address. But right in the middle of addressing that, you have chapter 13. And Paul brings up love. And I want to suggest that what he's saying is that love is the force, is to be the force behind ministry. That ministry, serving, using your gifts is to come from love. It's the force. Notice how he puts it. Chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if I have gifts of ministry in that area, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. What's he saying about love? He's saying love has to be the force behind your ministry. Love has to be the force behind your using your gifts to serve. Your service and your ministry has to come from love. And that wasn't the case in the Corinthian church. And if that's what the Bible teaches, that ministry and service is to come Out of love, that that's the force, then it makes sense that love would be a mark of a healthy church. Uh, Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Paul is talking about the church, instructions for the church, and in verse 16, Ephesians 4. 16, he says this. He's just reminded them that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And then he says this in verse 16. From him, Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul talks about a healthy church that's being built up and growing is the church where every part, every person is doing his or her part in serving and ministering. But notice, he says, that church grows and builds itself up in love as every part does its work. Again, love is the force behind service. Love is the force behind ministry. It needs to be. And so if that's happening, it becomes a mark of a healthy church because people are serving and ministering out of love for those they are serving and ministering to. Finally, we come to the title of today's study. Go back with me to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. Chapter 1, as Paul begins this letter to this church that is a model of a healthy church because of faith, because of love, because of hope. And he mentions those three things as he begins. So let me remind you, starting in verse 2 of First Thessalonians 1. He says, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. We talked about that last week. Then he says, and your labor motivated by love. Paul talks about the Thessalonian church. He talks about their labor, and he says your labor is motivated by love. And he thanks God for that. They have a labor motivated by love. Let's think about that. The word labor there, you see an English version of the, the word from the Greek. It means hard work, toil to the point of exhaustion, tiring service, painful effort. That's labor. Now, the first phrase, work produced by faith, might cause us to think, well, why is he talking about the same thing here, work, labor? They don't come from the same word. Work is, is more a, a general term for the way you live your life, the things you do. Labor comes from a word that is stronger. It refers to difficult work hard work, painful effort, a toil that brings you to the point of exhaustion, that makes you weary. You know, now that the Vikings are out, maybe we'll start thinking about the Twins and baseball. And maybe if you watched a baseball game, you have heard an announcer say toward the later innings, that a pitcher who's been in the whole game looks like he's laboring. You heard that term? Looks like he's laboring. It's getting harder for him to throw strikes. His speed on his pitches seems to be losing some velocity. And they say he's laboring. Uh, they, They might say that about a marathon runner. You know, At this point, this many miles, it looks like she's laboring. What does that mean? It's getting really hard. It's getting difficult. It's starting to hurt. Maybe there are even thoughts in her mind of dropping out and quitting because she's laboring. That's the idea of the word, to labor. And Paul says he thanks God for this church in Thessalonica because of their labor motivated by love. So, whatever it was, maybe it was persecution, maybe it was other things. But the Thessalonian church was experiencing labor in their service, in their Ministering, it was getting hard. It was difficult. It was tiring. But Paul says, I thank God for your labor motivated by love. You keep going. As hard as it is, you keep going. And it's because of your love. You love the people you're serving. You love the people you're ministering to. You love the people you're sharing Christ with. And it's hard. And sometimes you, you think, maybe I should just give up. But he says, I thank God that your love keeps motivating you to keep laboring. It makes sense that that would be a mark of a healthy church. Because I tell you what, folks, if you don't know it by now, serving others, ministering to people, being a witness out there in the world can become labor. It can be hard. It can be difficult. You can toil to exhaustion. Anybody been there? And the effort... Seems to become more and more painful even. And you get tired. And you might even have thoughts of why am I doing this? Why do I keep doing this? Maybe I should just step back. But you see in a healthy church, there is labor because there's love. And the love motivates the labor to keep going there was a husband who was sitting with his counselor and he said this to the counselor i'm sick and tired of giving 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 and getting nothing in return and i don't know if he was expecting the counselor to feel some pity and say well maybe maybe you can just stop the giving then but here's what his counselor said He said, good, now you can begin practicing the labor of love. I keep giving, 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 nothing in return, nothing happens. Should I quit? No. You've come to a good place because now you can practice the labor-motivated, by love, that unconditional. You see, the word love here is from agape, the unconditional, God-like love, the commitment to serve, no matter what. And many of us know what it's like to be involved in ministry in the church and serving other people, and and uh, even doing that outside the church in our communities. We know what that's like, and at first it's exciting, and we're really eager, and and it's very fulfilling. But after a while, we start getting tired. We're not seeing results. People aren't responding the way we want them to. And our serving and our ministering becomes difficult. And if you're at that point this morning, good. Because now you get to enter into what's called the labor of love. Labor motivated by unconditional love. Christ-like love. And when that's happening in a church, that's a mark of a healthy church. A mark of a healthy church isn't people dropping like flies because they're tired and worn out. That's not a healthy church. A healthy church is a church where when people get tired and weary and exhausted from labor, serving, they keep going because they move to that next level, labor motivated by love. The love, the unconditional love for those they're serving, for those they're ministering to, motivates them to keep going. That is the mark of a healthy church. So, what will it take for our church to be known for love? Well, just like last week when we talked about faith and being a church that's known for faith, In Jesus Christ. It starts with each of us individually because the church is people. And each of us individually needs to catch on to this and be people of love. People who love their neighbor, no matter who it is. People who walk the way of love with God as our example. People who follow the new commandment, we love each other as Jesus loves us. People who practice the one and People who choose to be lovers of God and lovers of the good and lovers of people rather than lovers of self, lovers of money lovers of pleasure don't let anybody tell you that to be a healthy person a healthy Christian you need to love yourself that's not in the Bible it says in terrible times in the last days people will be lovers of self that doesn't sound positive to me we need to be willing to labor motivated by our love for the people we're serving and ministering. We need to be people, individuals, who are loving. And if enough of us are, if enough of us in this room are, guess what? We become a church known for love. And when you're known for love... It comes around, and the attention goes to Jesus. And we become a bridge to the world. Don't we want our church to be a bridge to the Iron Range? A bridge to those who don't know Jesus? Our love for each other and for those people out there can become a bridge to the world where they will start listening to us because of our love. It will become the final apologetic, that thing that causes them to listen to us, because there's something about us. There's a love that they've never seen before. And they connect it with Jesus. But it takes us living that kind of life of love, individually and corporately, if we are going to be known as a healthy church, a church that loves. I want to close with this. Uh, Back in the early 100s A.D., the early church was known. The believers at that time were known for their love. And it was a love that caused people to see them as peculiar. Because it was a kind of love that they had not really observed before. They had not experienced before. It was different. And, and people at that time even started thinking it must have something to do with this Jesus that they talk about. This Jesus that they say they're following. That must have something to do with this love That is so peculiar. Well, in the early 100s, a Greek named Aristides, something like that. I can't pronounce his name. Aristides. He wrote a letter to the emperor. To Caesar. Which described these Christians. These peculiar people. And I want to read just... A couple excerpts from that letter. He says, The Christians, O King, while they went about and made search, have found the truth. And as we learn from their writings, they have come nearer to truth and genuine knowledge than the rest of the nations. For they know and trust in God, the creator of heaven and of earth, in whom and from are all things to whom there is no other God as companion, from whom they receive commandments which they engraved upon their minds and observe. Through love, they persuade others to become Christians. And when they have done so, they call them brethren, brothers, sisters. And they love one another. And from widows they do not turn away their esteem. And they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. If they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity." And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. They observe the precepts of their Messiah with much care, living justly and soberly as the Lord their God commanded him. O King, such is the commandment of the law of the Christians. And such is their manner of life. And he concluded his letter to the emperor with these words. It is enough for us to have shortly informed your majesty concerning the conduct and the truth of the Christians. For great indeed and wonderful is their doctrine to him who will search into it and reflect upon it. And verily, this... Is a new people, and there is something divine in the midst of them. Let me read his concluding statement about the Christians. These people whose love is peculiar and different. His last statement to the emperor Verily, this is a new people, and there is something divine. In the midst of them. Behold how they love. That was said about the early Christians. And did you see how it became a bridge to the world? This man said to the emperor, There is something divine in their midst. There's something going on. And it has to do with this Messiah they talk about, with this Jesus. The final apologetic. And history says that the emperor saved that letter and eventually made it public. Because those Christians were known for love. And it drew people's attention to Jesus. May we be the kind of church that people can write a similar letter, similar letter about. And that people in the world around us can say, Wow, the folks that go to that church, they're a new people. They're, they're peculiar. They're different. They love in a way that we haven't seen before. As though there is something divine in their midst. There's something or someone behind that love. It's a mark of a healthy church. Faith. Is a mark of a healthy church. Faith in Jesus Christ and how that produces works and a way of life that then draws people's attention back to Christ in whom those folks have faith. But love as well is a mark of a healthy church. Loving as Jesus loves. And if need be, letting that love motivate us in our labor even when it gets tough. Keeps us going. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you would uh, uh, take these thoughts, take these scriptures, and God, that you would move in our hearts, guide us as we reflect on them. Father, this church will never be what you want it to be unless many of us are what you want us to be. May we be people of faith, and people of love. Amen.